0: Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA.
1: One of the issues that seems to have Missouri's Democrats and Republicans in agreement is that foreign-owned companies should not be able to own the state's farmland. But crafting a specific policy has proven to be elusive, as nothing ended up passing during the 2023 legislative session. Republican State Representative Michael Hafner has been at the forefront of this issue, and he joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about the prospects for 2024 and why he's decided to run for the state Senate. Let's hit the music.
2: This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics.
1: My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least.
0: What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody People.
2: As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area, in North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. we got to find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people.
1: I don't want to leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table.
2: We need
0: to be spending this money to take care of
2: Missourians.
1: I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. Joining us from Mid-Missouri, she covers all things state government and state politics for St. Louis Public Radio. Sarah Kellogg. And joining us, I I don't know if he's in Cass County right now or whether he is uh, up in the air somewhere. Uh, although it looks like he's in an office, so it would mean that like he would have a plane with an office in it, um, our guest today, the state representative
2: for the 55th house district and Jason, uh, this is Mike captor. glad to be with you. And indeed I'm in my office, I'm on the ground and Sarah appreciate spending some time with you this morning as well. So, um, before we, we talk about your background and some of
1: the big issues, can you just describe uh, the boundaries of your state house district?
2: So I am in Cass County. And with the redistricting, uh, there are three reps within Cass County. With the the redistricting, my area of population used to be the city of Braymore. I got pushed to the east. I am a farmer. I live right on Seven Highway. To the north of me is Pleasant Hill. To the south of me is Harrisonville. When I got pushed to the east, I picked up those two cities, those two municipalities as my population center. So
1: you have a very, very, very interesting background. Um, What were you doing before you decided to jump into Missouri politics and what compelled you to enter this crazy and wacky political ecosystem?
2: Well, Jason, uh, I've got a very diverse background, so I'm currently a Christmas tree farmer. I've been doing that for 21 years. But prior to that, I spent 20 years flying off of America's supercarriers. So I was a naval aviator. And I spent a lot of time in the Arabian Gulf, uh, three combat deployments. I was fortunate enough to be an fa 18 Hornet squadron commanding officer. I was also a contingency briefer and a planner. And I also, through those three combat deployments, I was qualified not only to plan those air wing strikes, but I led them in the air.
0: While your official occupation is now owning a Christmas tree farm, like you just said, your biography does include extensive military service. Can you talk about how that experience prepared you for the Missouri House?
2: Well, Sarah, it did prepare me in a very extensive way because as part of my military training, I've got a master's degree in national security and strategic studies. In a one-year period, we studied the history of warfare, and we analyzed not only where America has been in the foundational documents like the Constitution, like the Declaration of Independence, but we analyzed through every major conflict known to man, starting back in Sparta, and analyzing economic, military, uh, and political strategies, how well they worked together, and if they failed, why they didn't come together, and what was that failure. What I learned through my military experience, not only as a forward deployed combat commander, but I understand very clearly what the United States Constitution and the Missouri Constitution provides is opportunity. That is unprecedented in the history of man. That opportunity I will fight for. The definition of that is American freedom. And it means enough to me that I time and time and time again was willing to fly into combat. I faced the missiles, I faced the guns, And that prepared me for what I am doing today, not only in debating on the floor, but understanding why American freedom is important and how that is foundational to every piece of legislation that comes through uh, the Capitol in Jefferson City.
0: We've had a number of people on the show who served in the armed forces before running for office. Do you think legislators who are also veterans see things differently than lawmakers who didn't serve?
2: I really believe that they do. And I think that one of the things that is missing in Missouri politics, and I'm, I'm gonna take that down to a little bit different level. What is missing combat veterans, law enforcement, and then the other part of it, agricultural farmers and ranchers. That is something that has been lost in Missouri politics. We need to bring that back. Agriculture is the number one industry in the state, yet we don't have that many farmers. We spend far more time explaining farming, explaining agriculture, explaining how law enforcement actually protects the communities and how that relates to legislation and how this concept of freedom permeates through every aspect of legislation. We shouldn't have to spend that time teaching. That should be foundational to the members within the assembly.
1: I don't want to bury the lead here. How did you end up owning and operating a Christmas tree farm?
2: Well, you know, God leads in different ways. Uh, I was in the service for 20 years. I was very fortunate uh, when I was the commanding officer of the VFA-34 Blue Blasters. Uh, we went on an extended combat deployment to the Arabian Gulf. We were embarked on a USS George Washington. And uh, when we came home, the chief of naval operations came into my squadron. and He said, Skipper, you have the best attack squadron in the United States Navy. But we made a decision to retire at that point. Uh, And the reason for that was for our family. I was gone constantly and I wanted to be home during those foundational years. Now, I will admit, I did go out, take all my FAA tests. I was certified to fly anything with centerline thrust. But as my wife and I were sitting on the porch one night, I said, listen, if I go be an airline pilot, I'm going to make great money. But I'm going to be gone for another five to seven years. And I don't want to miss what is happening in my kid's life. So a Christmas tree farm came up for sale in my wife's home state of Missouri. I flew out. uh, I made an offer that didn't go very well. We uh, talked for two or three days. And then I became a Christmas tree farmer. I
0: want to move to, though I could talk about Christmas tree farms (laughs) all day, I want to move to agriculture policy. You are the chairman of the House Agricultural Policy Committee. Why were you interested in not only serving in that post, but becoming the chairman?
2: Well, I was very interested in it. I do not have a background in agriculture prior to becoming a Christmas tree farmer but I've been around it my entire life. My wife, their family farm is out in Lafayette County. Uh, My father-in-law spent an incredible amount of time together from the time my wife and I were married back in 1987. And farmers all through that area, both Lafayette and Saline County were constantly teaching me about agriculture. And I understood the importance of what that meant to the Missouri economy. So when I got into the Missouri House, I immediately talked to the Speaker. And I at that point, it was Elijah Har. And I told him, I said, Mr. Speaker, my number one priority is to get into agriculture. That is where I can make the most impact. And that's where I ended up.
0: The biggest issue that you've been known for is trying to curtail the foreign ownership of farmland. Why do you think that that is an issue worth emphasizing?
2: So, Sarah, I'm going to have to stop and correct you. My bill is preventing the enemies of the United States from owning any land in Missouri. Now, this bill was probably the most disappointing thing I've experienced in politics because we did the hard work in the off session. I spent an incredible amount of time, not only with the State Department, but the Treasury Department in putting together the foundational elements of this bill. And this is important to understand. We've got to win this in the courts. And what you see taking place right now in Arkansas, that could be the state of Missouri leading the country with that, because what she has done is very similar to the bill that we put through the House. It prevented foreign ownership of our enemies. Now, I know in Arkansas, they're concentrating on agriculture. We did it a little bit differently. The reason we had to reach out, I believe in 10th Amendment rights, I believe that Missouri should control its own affairs, but... The Constitution, the U.S. Constitution is extremely clear in that a foundational element to determine the the adversaries and enemies of the United States, as well as our alliances and friends, is determined through the treaty system of the federal government. If you're going to win this in courts, you got to tie it to the federal government. What my bill did is it listed very similar to what is the Committee on Foreign Investment of the United States, the enemy of the United States, and they will not have a part in what's going on in Missouri. But what's key here, and this is important, you cannot separate national security from what is happening within the global marketplace. We want our friends and allies invested in what is going on in Missouri. We want the United States to be invested in such places as Great Britain, because as a forward deployed combat commander, every one of my combat deployments, I worked with the Brits. That enhances that relationship. It enhances both the marketplace in Great Britain, but also in the United States and in Missouri, and it complements our fighting capability overseas.
0: You mentioned Arkansas, which has been forcing a Chinese-based company to divest from agricultural land. But wouldn't that be more difficult to pull off in Missouri since companies like Smithfield, which is owned by a Hong Kong-based company, has a fairly large
2: footprint here? So, and Sarah, great point. And that's why I'm going to go back to, we got to win this in the courts. We got to do this right. And uh, I'm also going to bring up the state of Florida. Governor DeSantis signed a bill very similar during the last legislative session to what we had with an enemies list. But I think what's lacking in both the Florida bill, and the courts will bear this out, and it'll be interesting to see what happens down in Arkansas, because it's not tied back specifically to the federal government with our alliance and treaties. It may have some issues within the federal and the state courts. Uh, Our bill We'll list the foreign adversaries and we'll tie it to the Committee on Foreign Investment of the United States. And there are multiple. You go all the way back to the 1960s. There are all kinds of federal and state uh, precedent, court precedent, that says you have to follow that framework in order to be successful in the courts. And that's the way we're going to do it.
0: You mentioned your legislation, you know, your bill would have reduced the percentage of Missouri land that can be foreign owned from 1% to 0.5%, and it would bar companies from China, Iran, North Korea, Korea, Russia, and Venezuela from acquiring land. Why just those countries?
2: Well, because it goes right back to our alliances and trees. And so I will say that uh, with my continued discussions of the Committee on Foreign Investment of the United States, uh, they have Cuba on there and that's one of the changes i plan on making at the bill now the other part of this is specifically in at the federal level they list the venezuelan politician the president madero not specifically venezuela so we're going to make a modification there as well but i want to be clear we got this through the house the enemies of the united states list was stripped off by a senate substitute that was wrong that shouldn't have happened That bill became very broken, and that's why it didn't get across the finish line. We need to have a listing of enemies of the United States and they don't play in in the great state of Missouri. That's gonna come back. After the Senate laid that Senate substitute, we would not take that back up. I tried to engage them in conversations, but I'm refiling this bill as soon as I possibly can. It's gonna look a little bit different than last year, but the foundational elements will, will remain intact.
0: Yeah. On the Senate, it seems like there was kind of a really a difference in like philosophical reasons as what they wanted to do with this bill, which is you had your list, but still allowing ownership from other countries, whereas the Senate, it appears that it really wanted just a flat out freeze for everyone. Why do you think there is a difference? And do you see any reconciliation with it?
2: Well, again, uh, what ended up happening with that Senate bill is I'm going to go back to the comment I made earlier. You cannot separate the global marketplace from the national security environment. And so uh, it, for my purposes, and this is key, this is going on in Washington, D.C. right now. There is a listing of protected areas across the United States. That should include every one of our military bases. Fort Leonard Wood is on that list. Whiteman Air Force Base is not. Now, I have reached out to Senator Hawley's staff, Senator Schmidt's staff, Congressman Mark Alford's staff. We're all aware of this. They're fighting at the federal level. But if the, the, the folks in Washington, D.C. are not going to protect Whiteman Air Force Base, we're going to protect it here in Missouri. And that's why it can't just be agricultural land. The other thing that was flawed with that Senate bill, when they had their exemption section, it allowed foreign ownership of agricultural land. It was not a good bill. The bill that I have will present will prevent China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba from buying land right next to the Whiteman Air Force Base. We don't want them there, and we're going to protect Missourians.
1: Going back to a point about uh, that Sarah made about what is happening in Arkansas right now, this bill has been described as a ban on foreign ownership of farmland, but unless Missouri is going to confiscate land that is owned by those, those countries that you mentioned, is it more accurate to say that it just is a freeze and they can't buy any more than they already have? And I'm specifically talking about China because, we, as we've, we've mentioned, they have an extensive footprint in Missouri. I don't know about those other countries. So would it be accurate to say this is a freeze rather than a ban because you're not going to be confiscating
2: existing farmland? Okay, Jason, so that's a great point. And uh, it brings up some very complicated issues and it goes back to the 14th Amendment of the Constitution and the Due Process Clause. Already in federal statute and in state statute, it defines what a resident alien is. Based upon the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, the courts have said very clearly, if you establish residency, permanent residency in a state of Missouri, you can own land. That is very, very different than a foreign entity. That is very different than a business entity. And so the way that this is actually handled through the Committee on Foreign Investment of the United States, and I went from office to office to office, both on the Senate side and on the House side to explain. There's a system called the OFAC system, the Office of Foreign Asset Control, put together by the State Department, run by the Treasury Department. And it will handle exactly what you're talking about, because it will list Every country that's an enemy of the United States, every business enemy that is an enemy of the United States, every person that's an enemy of the United States. And so what this does is it allows the resident alien that is committed to Missouri and the United States access, but it prevents our enemies from owning land. And so that's why I said this is going to be, we will see how the courts play this out, both Florida and with Arkansas. I believe our framework is sound. We have had teams of attorneys look at this. We believe we're on the right track. We want to enhance the Missouri economy, but we want to prevent the enemies of the United States from a national security standpoint from owning land. And I believe that we have the proper template for that.
0: How exactly would this be enforced? Do counties have enough staff to know when a foreign company is interested in buying farmland?
2: Yes, so another great question. There's already a process in place through the Department of Agriculture. And as I went through this last year, we made some changes to the bill. And so I reached out not only to Director Chen, but I also reached out to Andrew Bailey as our Attorney General. And Andrew Bailey has now written into the bill and he has given statutory authority for divestiture. And that section of statute already exists, but we put him in specifically for an, for an ownership of land Automatic divestiture of land if they violate state statute. And so what's important about the OFAC system that I mentioned earlier, it's used within the banking industry, but we're not using it the right way. This is an immediate access. You type a name, you type a business, you type an LLC, you will know immediately based upon feedback from the federal government if this is an enemy of the United States. It's used in the banking industry. We need to get it to the Department of Agriculture through Director Chin. We need to get this to the Attorney General, Andrew Bailey staff. I have connected them with the Treasury Department so that they have contact with that. Now that list is on a security clearance. But we can have the foundational elements understood, and every time there's a transaction in the state of Missouri, the Department of Ag and Attorney General are using that OFAC system, and we will find out immediately if they're an enemy of the United States.
0: So we mentioned that you know this bill failed last session to cross the finish line. Do you have and you, and you mentioned you're going to file it again? Do you have any confidence that it could pass next year? And if so, why?
2: Well, I have extreme confidence because when we have states like Florida, we have states like Arkansas, they are moving because they see that the federal government is not protecting the Constitution, it's not protecting the people. And what has taken place here, the Whiteman is not a protected area in the state of Missouri, and those other areas I'm very concerned about, Boeing should be protected, the geospatial engineering center should be protected, our intelligence centers should be protected. There are multi, Our food security, our water supply should be protected. If they're not going to take care of it, we need to take care of it. Uh, I believe that we do have a path on this. But Sarah, I'm very concerned. Whenever you come into an election year, we have way too many individuals that are far more concerned about getting their face on a camera instead of accomplishing a conservative agenda. And so we're going to have to battle through that. That's always an issue within politics. But we're going to remain committed on this. And I know that the Speaker of the House, Dean Plocker, he is committed to getting this bill through. Uh, and Senate leadership, I've had face-to-face conversations with them. I have not engaged yet for the upcoming legislative session. Uh, but both the governor's staff, the lieutenant governor's staff has been active. All of the statewides have been reaching out. We've got to get this taken care of. We've got to protect Missouri.
1: We'll be right back after this quick break with State Representative Mike Hafner. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative Mike Hafner. He is a Republican from beautiful and scenic Cass County, Missouri. I want to move on to the initiative petition process. We have spent a lot of time on this show talking about proposals that raise the threshold to pass a constitutional amendment. And don't worry, we are going to ask you about that because it's going to be a huge issue next year. But you've actually been involved in another area of the initiative petition process we really haven't talked that much about, and that's the signature gathering process. Why did you become yeah, interested
2: so- in that, and what do you what do you want to do with that? Okay, Jason, so there's two parts to this. As you very accurately articulated, there's a constitution side, and we have been concentrating on that, but there's also a statutory side. So the constitution side can change the framework. The IP process, I believe, is how the founding fathers wanted it to happen. As a registered voter, you initiate a petition with the Secretary of State, you gather the signatures, you go out and put it on the next ballot, and you can change the Constitution. Where it's flawed, is it only takes 50% of the voters plus one to change that. The statutory side is centered around how the signatures are gathered. Now, we got this through the House last year didn't get through the senate i believe especially in an election year this is how we bring the power back to the state of missouri there's about nine different sections of this bill dealing with the residency requirements of the circulators meaning that if you're going to circulate a petition in missouri you got to be a resident of missouri it also takes away the out of state money there's a lot of out of state money that not only puts lawsuits into who can bring suit when an ip is initiated but also the compensation of how the circulators are paid. We want to take that out. We want Missourians being responsible for what's taking place with the Missouri Constitution, and that is exactly what this bill does. And it's based upon court precedent. Uh, I work with the Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft's legal staff. We have spent an incredible amount of time. I mean, I've got a stack of about five inches high. Of court precedent, and we have painstakingly gone through that to make sure that we can win this in the courts. It's a good bill. It's going to bring the power back to the state of Missouri, and it's going to allow Missourians to take care of the Missouri Constitution.
1: Well, why do you think somebody who is circulating a petition should be a resident of the state of Missouri? I know that sounds like a very obvious question, but like, what do you, what is the the impetus behind that?
2: Well, the impotence behind that, it goes back to the point that it should be Missourians taking care of Missourians. And what we have seen in the past, you you go back to clean Missouri, you go back uh, to the fact that we have bingo in our constitution, go back to marijuana. There was a lot of outside influences putting an incredible amount of money into Missouri to control what's taking place within Missouri. Again, it comes back to the concept, the residency requirement, and it all goes back to court press and through the Eighth Court of Appeals, it should be Missourians taking care of Missourians. Let's get this big out-of-state money out of the way and allow us to control what's going on here.
1: But there's nothing in this bill that would stop, like, an out-of-state donor from donating
2: to a campaign, correct? Well, no, no, it does not. Now, there are some specific rules with the Missouri Ethics Commission, but what it deals with is what's called the compensation of the circulators. And so this is extremely important. So uh, what has taken place in the past, especially on these big ticket items, is there is individuals being paid per signature. That is wrought with fraud because it incentivizes inappropriate behavior. And there's already been uh, significant court precedent through the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. You can pay the circulators, but you cannot pay them in a payment by signature. Pay them a flat rate. But when you pay them by signature, the courts have said very clearly that induces fraud. That is inappropriate. And we're going to follow that court precedent right here in the state of Missouri. You have
1: also introduced a constitutional amendment that would change the way the amount of signatures that would be required for a constitutional amendment to go to the ballot. Can you sort of explain what that would do if that was approved by the
2: voters? Well, Jason, I would say two things with this. Number one, I'll talk a little bit about the bill, but far more about the process. You know, when we have legislators, we we need legislators to go to sit behind closed doors. They're going to talk through these issues and they're going to be consistent between what they're saying behind closed doors and what they're doing out in front of the microphone. That is broken in Missouri politics. And so I will start out by saying, yes, I did do an HJR. Our speaker pro tem Mike Henderson did one as well. I sat down with the leadership, and what my bill did, it changed how many of the congressional districts needed to have signatures. Where in the past, what's in statute now, you need 8% of the voters and two thirds the congressional districts. Mine said 6% in all of them. And I went to the president pro tem, I went to my speaker. We sat down in a room, we talked through we got to fix this. we got to protect the Missouri Constitution. And I looked Mike Henderson in the eye, and I said, Mike, your bill has the clearest path to getting through. We understand it very clearly in the House. We've gotten this through three years in a row. Let's get it back. Let me help you in getting it back over to the Senate so we can fix the process to protect the Missouri Constitution. And that is what's taking place. You see, my bill did not go to committee because I committed to Mike Henderson, we're going to fix this through his bill.
0: Since groups need to collect signatures in six out of eight congressional districts, doesn't that mean that they would have to reach out to rural Missouri in order to get something on the ballot?
2: And and that is the big issue, is that there ought to be equitable distribution of how the signatures are gathered in order to protect our Constitution. Uh, And this, I believe very strongly in this requirement. But what is what has taken place here is we have way too many people in office that aren't willing to sit down and do the hard work in the off session. It's just like with the foreign ownership land. I'm calling Washington, D.C. I'm calling all across the state. I'm meeting with the statewides. I'm meeting with different reps and centers. We're doing a hard work now so that we can get this across the finish line during the legislative session. We got individuals that aren't willing to engage in that. They want to wait until their face is in front of the camera and throw Obama on the Senate floor. That's inappropriate. Let's get some conservative legislators. They're going to do the hard work during the off session and let's get the work done. In each of the last three legislative sessions, there has been extensive filibustering during the final weeks of the session. The filibuster is an appropriate tool, absolutely. But when we waste week upon week upon week of the legislative session, especially towards the end, and we don't fix initiative petition, that's broken. We need to get back to the foundational elements of the Constitution and get this legislative across the finish line.
0: It's been argued that the current initiative petition process doesn't take rural Missouri into account. Would it make sense for urban and suburban Missouri to be more impactful in deciding whether ballot initiatives passed since more
2: people live there? No, it should be represented based upon the population across the state of Missouri. I mean, that's foundational at the federal level, it's foundational at the state level. Equal representation, one vote for one person, that is the foundational element. If you go back, if you take a hard look at the initiative petition process across the United States, half of the, the states that have IP do very similar to what we are proposing as far as the residency requirements of the tours, as far as the compensation of the petition to circulators. It's recognized across the United States. It just needs to be consistent.
1: I have a broader question because I've, I've talked with a lot of Republicans about their desire to change the the IP process. And the thing that I'm kind of struggling with is Republicans are really good at winning elections for themselves here. They have super majorities in the legislature. They have all the statewide offices. They have both U.S. Senate seats. But they have been very, very lackluster in combating a a ballot initiatives that they don't like, whether it be the original clean Missouri, whether it be marijuana legalization, whether it be Medicaid expansion. Why, Why is that? Why can't Republicans be better at trying to defeat
2: some of these ballot initiatives? Well, I wish we had about uh, two hours to go through this, Jason. That's one of the things that we actually studied with the National Securities Master's Degree. If you look at the history of the United States, the strength of our country is our diversity. The weakness of our country within the political realm is our diversity. And what I mean by that is not in ethnic groups, but in differences of thought. And within the history of the United States, we come together in a national crisis very, very quickly. And we will unite and stay united. But we also separate into factions. And what's happened in the state of Missouri, outside of the Republican Party, there are all these sub-factions. We need to get control of that. And the issue that's taken place historically is getting worse through time. That political pendulum swings faster and to the farther extremes more quickly. And a perfect example is that. Look back at World War II. Look back at what happened after 9-11. We united, but we started to break up very quickly. And so the Republican Party's got to get a handle around this. Reunite as a team. Take away some of these factions. Let's sit down. That's being lost right now in Missouri politics. Let's sit down and talk. Let's have an open door. Even when we disagree, that makes better legislation.
0: Do you think Republicans should pursue any changes to the initiative petition process after an effort to raise a threshold for a constitutional amendment was soundly defeated in Ohio?
2: We're different than Ohio. I mean, I grew up in Ohio and there's a lot of things that are very similar with us in Ohio, but let the Missouri people decide that. Now, the specifics of how we do that, I know on Mike Henderson's bill, you know, it required 60% in order to change part of the Missouri Constitution when that issue went before the ballot. There have been some discussions uh, that maybe that should be 58%. You know, I am, I'd am i love to see that number at 66%. There's a lot of things that we can legislate, we can debate, but I wanna protect the Constitution. Once it gets in there, our Constitution's way too big, way too broad. It contains elements that don't belong in a Constitution, but we gotta work together as a Republican Party to determine what that number is and then present it to the Missourians and they'll make that decision.
0: So Jason can attest to this, that I've asked this to pretty much every Republican on this issue, which is how do you sell this to voters? How do you convince them? How do you make this a winning issue? Because to me personally, it really seems like voters are, you know, the reason why some initiative petition issues get on the ballot. First place is either inaction of lawmakers. I know the other argument is, is money from outsiders, but how do you sell this to people who maybe, you know, really like the idea of recreational marijuana? How are you convince these people that the constitution is, is worth protecting and voting for this?
2: So that's responsibility of people like me. It's a responsibility of senators and representatives. And we do a very poor job of separating the value of the constitution from the individual items of legislation and what's going before, whether it be bingo, whether it be marijuana. We need to be able to articulate the value of the Constitution and the difference between putting something into statute and putting it into the Constitution. Two very, very different processes. And we got to get better at articulating. that. So we only have a couple minutes left
1: and you are not going to be in the Missouri House for much longer. You have decided to run for the 31st District Senate seat. Why did you decide to jump into the fray there?
2: Well, the reason I decided to jump into the fray, there's a couple of different parts to this. And number one, everybody knows that D.C. is dysfunctional. And what has taken place within the last three years, especially within the Missouri Senate, our Senate is just as dysfunctional. The infighting is unprecedented. Uh, Right now, the Senate's not capable of protecting our Constitution. It's not capable of protecting our God-given rights. Yet we hold the supermajority. So the reason I am moving forward and filing for the Senate, number one, I will protect our freedoms. That is not a government decision. That is an individual decision. I will protect our freedoms. Number two, a lack of integrity is appalling. What is being done behind closed doors is very different than what is being done behind uh, what it's, you know, with the microphone or in front of the camera. That should be consistent. And we got way too many guys that are career politicians, they're self-serving. Their main political theater, their main political strategy is political theater instead of doing the hard work of a conservative legislator. It's about them, their names on their bills. And quite frankly, if we took the names off of bills, would probably resolve a lot of this. But I'm going to get into the fight. I'm entering into the SD31 campaign, and I will protect our freedoms.
0: So currently, Senator Rick Bratton is serving in this seat. Why do you think you would be a better rep- or a better senator than him?
2: Well number 1 I've got very different background as a combat veteran not only have I had multiple multiple combat deployments but I've led in combat I have also led Not only in the agricultural community, but on my Christmas tree farm. I have 30 plus employees. I understand how government can stifle the entrepreneurial spirit of a small business owner. I understand it from an agricultural perspective. And in addition to that, I have shown quite clearly within a Missouri house, I'm going to put together a team. We're going to do this together. Even when we disagree with individuals, we invite them into the door because that typically makes better legislation. But we do this together as a team. That is crucial in order for Missouri to move forward and get the conservative agenda to the governor. That is not happening right now. And that has to be changed.
1: Well, Representative, thank you so much for joining us on Politically Speaking. And we're looking forward to seeing how the issues we talked about uh, go through the legislative process next year. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri St. Louis. You can read all of our stories at stlpr.org and Representative. How could people follow you on social media, find out more about you on the internet? Go to go to like a I don't know if if, pe- if if you go to another Christmas tree farm in St. Louis, you can connect that way if there's a social media for Christmas tree farmers. How could people find out more about you?
2: Well, just look at hafner and that will connect you in any way that you want. But uh, Jason, I appreciate you having me. Sarah, thank you very much. I am concerned about our country. I have fought for the Constitution, this concept of freedom, and I am not backing down. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.
0: smart speaker you have access to the entire world of npr and st louis public radio all the latest news and all the captivating stories activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play st louis public radio